Hi guys, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church. It is so great to be worshiping with you today. Here at Providence, it's summertime, and so we're actually entering into a new summer sermon series, and it's going to be all about following Jesus and all about growing closer to God the Father, and we want to invite you to come along on this this journey with us. And as we go throughout these next uh, couple of months, we know that some of you are going to be out vacationing from time to time, and we just want, whenever you can, come and worship with us and enter in. We're going to be experiencing ways to experience God together, so we hope that you'll join us as often as you can throughout this summer. I want to start by sharing these, these words from John chapter 14, the words of Jesus right before he was turned over and crucified on the cross. These are words to his disciples. He said, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. So from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is God's word for us today. You know, before joining the team here at Providence Church almost six years ago, I served as pastor in Gladeville, Tennessee, which if you're from the area around here, you'll know that's about eight or nine miles down a windy, narrow series of roads. I'm a little bit further out in the country than than we are here in Mount Juliet. I loved loved the community that was around in Gladeville. It's such such a rich history in that area, Uh, so much so that when I arrived there, I was clearly not from there if you know what I mean. <laughs> when I arrived there, I was, it was clear to me that I wasn't from there. We were kind of in the early days. There's been a lot of growth in that area um, and new subdivisions and all that popping up, but we were kind of in the early phase of that. I knew that I wasn't from there, but it was this community with such a, a rich history, and it was a church that I was going to that was about to celebrate its 200th birthday, 200 years as a church. And as I learned more and more, I found out that the land where the original church building sat, where they first prayed together as a a church, was purchased from the Andrew Jackson, (laughs) right, over 200 years ago. So it's old. Some might even say it's ancient. (laughs) One of my favorite people in Gladeville, his name is is J.E., he is kind of like the town historian and the church historian. He seems to know everything that has happened in Gladeville for hundreds of years. His family roots go as deep as anyone's roots go in that community. And when I came to town, I was, well, it was 11 years ago, so obviously quite young at the time. And uh, um, I, I went in, you know, with a lot of ideas and stars in my eyes of things that, that we could do and dreams. And he saw that in me, and I think it made him a little bit nervous, <laughs> I think his concern was that I might go too far too fast. I might change too many things quickly because I had ideas, you know, a fear that was probably well-founded and actually proved to be uh, well-founded. When I moved the brand new pulpit that was in the worship center on week two, (laughs) on week one, I preached in the pulpit and I I felt like I was kind of peeking out over the top. It was beautiful. It was just really big. And so I moved it on, on week two and 
uh, well, it was noticed. <laughs> it was a quick, a quick change. I learned a lot. <laughs> I, I might have actually thought that, that J.E. was one of those guys who just didn't like change, that just wanted to hold on to things the way they were. Instead, what I discovered about J.E. is he's actually somebody who just likes to stick to the old roads. He loves the old roads. You see, back when the four-lane state highway 840 came in, it came, extended from, at the first, the first leg was from Interstate 40 down to Stewart's Ferry, where Gladeville sits. And that was the first section that opened up back in 1995. It opened up all kinds of possibilities for, for Gladeville. And it actually made it easier to imagine being able to get to a city called Lebanon that's nearby. And later on, as they extended it, it made it easier to imagine going down to Murfreesboro. But J.E., as I mentioned, he liked to stick to the old roads. So he, would, he taught me about the old roads. He'd say, this is how you get from here to there. And I actually appreciated that because I actually I like to drive um, off the beaten path from time to time when I have time. You know, it takes longer to go off the path. <laughs> it takes longer sometimes to stick to the old roads because we've made newer roads that go faster. I will tell you, when I go downtown to downtown Nashville, I take the interstate every time. Unless there's like a huge pileup on it. But I mean, it's so much faster to get there. So what I'm saying is I also appreciate the new roads. I appreciate the highways. So I learned a lot about the actual roads from J.E. He would tell me, here's how you get from point A to to point B. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a possibility. I didn't even know that road existed. I thought that was a a driveway, you know. And he would teach me all the different ways, so much so that right now um, in this part of our county, in Wilson County, I could get to any place in this half of the county three or four different routes, I would know how, how to get there. I would have options. But I also learned the metaphorical roads, the old, metaphorical old roads of the church. I learned about its history. It was really rich. I, I was able to dedicate a headstone for the unmarked grave of the original pastor of Gladeville Church. How cool is that, right? He, he was actually related to J.E., of course. <laughs> I was actually able to lead prayer in the original meeting place of the church that sits on display at the Wilson County Fairgrounds still today. Such cool stuff to be able to be a part of that and kind of step into that history and know that you're standing on shoulders and and understand all of that. And it was the old roads that kind of told that story. Over the years, though, J.E. and I began to build new roads together. Mostly, the new roads followed the paths of the old roads. We updated them a little bit. You know, we added some drainage ditches on the side. We um, improved the intersections, things like that. Sorry, I'm still talking metaphorically here. I get stuck in metaphors sometimes. What I'm really talking about is the new old ways of doing church. Over the course of time, it was clear to me that J.E. was actually somebody who really cared about people who, who were far away from God. He wanted to reach out to people. He wanted to connect with people along the new roads. You see, we were actually still headed in the same direction that the first church was headed in. We were just taking some updated paths. So what was that destination, you might ask? What was our common destination that J.E. and I had in the the beginnings of that 200-year-old church had? Well, to answer that, we're going to go back to the passage of Scripture from John 14. We're going to look at this exchange again from Jesus and his disciples. Jesus told them, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to, the, to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is a part of a big promise that Jesus is giving to his disciples. It's often this passage of Scripture, you might have heard it read at a funeral. It's kind of that, that promise that kind of gives us hope as we're facing death, and that's what Jesus was facing in this moment. He's talking in terms of a place here, if you'll notice it. He said, my father's place, my father's house, I'm going there to that place, and later I'll come back and I'll take you there where I am. <laughs> so he's, it's clear to, to us that Jesus, for Jesus, location seems to matter in this example. But then he says, I mean, we're talking about a place, but what he says is, you know the way. You know the way to that place, presumably to there, to the there that he's been talking about. So it's kind of understandable that, that Thomas would, would actually uh, speak up and say, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's like he's saying, um, Jesus, you kind of described this thing, but we don't have the GPS coordinates, you know? I need to be able to plan when I need to leave, you know, like this traffic. I got to figure out when I, when I need to go to the place that, that you are going. So tell us, where is this place that you are going? How can we know where we're going if you haven't given us the address? <laughs> now, I've been a, a student off and on of uh, popular like business and leadership practices for the last couple of decades. And one thing that I, I learned like early on is, is um, kind of how you do a visioning process with an organization. And, and one of the key things is knowing where you're going. You have to know where you're going before you can begin to figure out how you're going to get there. It's really important. It's like it's called vision. You, you know what the picture of the future looks like, and then you start talking about how you get to that place. And it makes so much sense in the business world. It makes so much sense in most organizations. Most of the time, it really even makes sense for the church. And we want to apply it to Jesus, but Jesus kind of seems like he's resisting that in this passage. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And then this like huge promise, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, sometimes we just take verse 6, the, the first part of that, and Jesus saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then we, we kind of picture like Jesus might be saying he's like a bouncer for the Heavenly Father, like trying to keep people away from God, but that's, that's not the truth. You got to read the whole thing. When we read on, it's clear that he's saying, you do know him. You have seen him. You're looking to me. You know him, and you have seen him. The question from Thomas was really, where are you going, Jesus? <laughs> We've been asking that question around here. We actually celebrated a bunch of uh, graduating seniors just last month. We, we, celebrated, we celebrated all their accomplishments, and then we began to talk about where are you going, right? And that's what you ask somebody who's, who's kind of in a transition moment in their life. Where are you going? For our seniors, it was things like, well, I'm going to go work in this place. I'm going to go to school in this place. I'm going to go serve in the military in, in this place. That is, that is where I'm going. The question from Thomas was really to Jesus, where are you going? Like after this graduation moment, <laughs> after this huge transition in your life, it's death, it's life, where are you going? What's next? But Jesus his answer was about the way to get there, which would be like our senior saying, I don't know where I'm going, but I know the way. I think that would be a great answer for all of us. I, I don't always know exactly where I'm going, but I know the way. I know the way. 
So to the disciples and, and really to our young people in transition, Jesus shows them the way. Jesus is the way to the where. <laughs> Jesus is the way to the where. Jesus is like, you're asking the wrong question, Thomas. Your mind can't handle the where. Like, you can't picture all of that. <laughs> if you spend too much time thinking about heaven and its location, you'll exhaust yourself. And at some point, the real risk is you might actually think that you've got it figured out, but it will not be anywhere near as good as it actually is. You don't have a category for where I'm going. <laughs> so let's focus on the way. The figuring out the when and the where of heaven is not as important as figuring out the way. So Philip seemed like he was starting to get it. <laughs> like, it like he could start to see maybe it's kind of clicking in his eyes a little bit. But he still, he had a little bit to work through yet. So the passage goes on. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Like if you, you don't have to show us all the details about heaven anymore. Forget it. We don't need the address to heaven, but just let us see God. <laughs> to that, Jesus replied, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I wish I could see the eyes of the disciples right then. So the way becomes our destination, and Jesus is the way. He said it. Jesus is the way. So we look to him in order to be with the Father. We look to Jesus in order to know God, to experience God, to rest in God. We look to Jesus. He is the way and the where. I know somewhere right now, an English teacher is on summer break saying, I'm, not, I'm on break. I'm not going to fix your, your grammar right there, Mark. <laughs> he is the way and the where. But I believe it. Like some, somehow it's still true. Jesus is the way and he is the destination. That's what our summer here at Providence Church is setting up to be all about, following Jesus along the path to a deeper relationship with God. He's our guide in that. The church throughout its history has followed the ancient roads that have been laid out by Jesus. He, he demonstrated to his disciples how to stay connected and to grow in love with God. He showed it to them over. They didn't always know that they were getting a lesson, but he showed it to them. So we'll be practicing some of these paths to God this summer. Things like study and worship and fasting and, and uh, even hospitality. It's important to note that, that what we're talking about here is not, we're not going to give you a list, like a checklist of things that you can do that then you'll just know, well, I'll be closer to God because I accomplished these things. Instead, it's an invitation like Jesus was inviting the original disciples to follow in this path of, of being able to sit in the presence of God and experience God together following the way of Jesus. Now, some of this language might be new to you. Uh, the practices that we're going to be talking about have, have been called spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, which are all part of this idea of spiritual formation because we're, we're being formed. Like spiritually, we are being formed as we practice these things together. While we follow Jesus, we, our spirits are being formed. So we'll be talking about them instead as pathways. A great writer, Henry Nouwen, said, these pathways are important in order to prevent the world from filling our lives to such an extent that there is no place left to listen. This includes listening to God and listening to one another. So over the course of this summer, we're going to dive into actually eight different pathways of Jesus that help us to listen and respond to the voice of God. 
But we're going to start with this pathway of solitude, like, like aloneness, not loneliness, but aloneness. Because more than once, Jesus left the crowd to spend time in solitude with God. He was actually really good at it. He displayed this almost as well as anything else. In Mark 1, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He was doing it for him. He was also doing it for us. We would have an example. Also in Mark, it said, After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. In Matthew, it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. One more from Luke. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. See, this was a pattern for Jesus. He did this over and over again. And it's really important to note that that it was a pattern for, it was almost like Jesus was even growing in his relationship with God. He demonstrated that finding space and silence makes us more sensitive to the small, gentle voice of God. You might remember hearing a story one time about the prophet Elijah who was listening for God, and he was listening for God in the earthquake, and he didn't hear him. He was listening for God in the fire, and he didn't hear him. But it was in a still, small voice, in the quiet, in solitude, that he heard from God. One of the noticeable things from our quarantine life uh, a year ago was just the sudden silence, right? Like it, it hit us like a wave of silence. I remember like hearing how loud the birds chirping uh, was, you know, it was almost like, it was almost deafening to hear the birds, which they're always chirping. I just didn't hear them because the, the earth was, was much more quiet than it had been. Sometimes we're afraid of solitude, Sometimes we confuse solitude with loneliness, and you know that we don't need more loneliness. But So here's the distinction. Here's kind of an indicator for you. Um, loneliness leaves you feeling emptiness. Solitude leaves you feeling full. So you can actually take a moment. If you've been alone, if you've had, had kind of a moment, are you feeling empty or are you feeling full? The best book ever written on the subject of spiritual pathways is called The Celebration of Discipline, written by a man named Richard Foster. He said about solitude, there was a time not so very long ago when solitude and silence were available to people by the normal conditions of everyday life. Not any longer. In our day, we have to choose solitude and silence and plan our lives accordingly. He wrote that like before cell phones and 24-hour news, by the way. So if it was true when he wrote that, it's even more true now. We have to choose solitude and silence and plan our lives accordingly. Loneliness is something that happens to you. Solitude is something that you choose. You actually have a choice to enter into solitude. So I want to leave you with just a, a few steps, nothing magic about, about these steps, just kind of some ideas to get your, your, your brain going around that, how you can find solitude in your life. One of them is to identify a quiet place in or outside of your home. And you might have to get creative on this one. <laughs> it might be your front porch. It might be your garage. It might be a park bench down, down the road. But just finding the spot where you can actually be quiet and get away from distractions. The next step to solitude is scheduling an appointment with God. I like this one. Like actually, literally, put it on your calendar. 
Like you've heard, like if you want to ha have an important time in relationship, you got to put it on the calendar. If you want to have an important time in your relationship with God, like put it on the calendar. Schedule a time, an appointment with God. Like literally put it there. And there are key moments in a day when I know that solitude uh, might be possible. It might require me getting up early in the morning. For some people, it's staying up late at night. For some people, it's kind of stepping away at lunchtime and just kind of having that quiet. The key thing is scheduling your solitude. It doesn't have to start off as some long, grand period of time. It might, just like 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes of silence that you can carve out. Little moments of solitude throughout the day can be really helpful as well. So just kind of stepping away from the noise, stepping away from the distraction, moving from like kids and joyful play to, to lawnmowers in the distance. Sometimes it's really just kind of changing the thing that you're hearing, changing your environment can I help you be able to do that. Sometimes it's even closing your eyes in the middle of craziness and just finding, finding some solitude in the midst of that. Another easy thing to do is just to go take like a half an hour silent prayer walk. We have some great trails. If you live near the church somewhere, we'd love to invite you to come walk on these trails out here and just pray. Just pray as, as you walk and listen. And, and then one thing that you're going to notice uh, most likely is once you kind of do some of these practices, and again, these aren't magical, and these are just things you like kind of, just kind of grow into over time. But once you're away from typical, the typical chaos of your life, um, just know that you're going to encounter another level of chaos. Writers talk about this sense of an inner chaos, and we don't even hear it. Um, it's kind of like not even hearing the birds chirping because everything else was so loud. We don't even hear the inner chaos in our own hearts at times until we kind of step away from the out, outward, outer chaos in our lives. So just know that you're going to encounter that, and that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that you're hearing it. It's a good thing that you're acknowledging, acknowledging it. Sit with the inner chaos, and it will eventually begin to dissipate. Ask God to do that work in you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're just kind of curious about this, this man who's, who's been kind of like set apart and who are kind of identifying as somebody who knows how to get to the heart of God, I want to invite you to follow him a bit down these pathways that he reveals to us. So to close, I just want to invite you, this might feel kind of weird, but you, you can do it wherever you are, um, unless you're driving. Um, I want to invite you to close your eyes. Kind of close your eyes, and if you can, just kind of picture Picture Jesus standing in front of you, and on the other side of him are all of these paths, well-worn paths. And all of these paths lead to the Father. So they're all good paths, and they all lead to the same place. And as you see Jesus kind of walking down one of these paths, just imagine yourself following him, just kind of observing what he does and maybe kind of taking on some of his practices and listening for the heart of God. I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Lord, show us your way. You are the way. Meet us in times of solitude in the days to come, we pray. Amen.